According to His promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the Scriptures. Join me this morning, if you would, in Philippians chapter 2. And we're going to gain some new ground this morning because we're beginning with verses 3 through 11. Philippians 2, verses 3 through 11. And uh, obviously within verses 3 through 11 is verse 5. <laughs> and uh, folks have been waiting for Philippians 2, 5 ever since they first heard that uh, we were going to go to Philippians when, uh, when Galatians was done. So um, I'm excited about it. Because uh, ultimately speaking, I mean, is there anything more significant than becoming Christ-like? That's why we're here. We're growing and, and we're, uh, the, the, the target for our growth is the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And that's, that's the image we're being transformed into from glory to glory. And uh, being more and more Christ-like is, is, is the goal. And here's the imperative to have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus. And that's, that's expected today. And uh, what, a, what a thrill. And so, uh, you know, there's certain commands in Scripture. Well, am I going to misspeak here in a moment? Um, some commands in Scripture are so easy to obey because you want to obey. Because, yeah, who wouldn't want to do that, right? Who wouldn't want to have the attitude of Christ? Who wouldn't want to uh, grow in grace and knowledge? You know, this is, this is just fun to, to feast on the Word of God. And so here we are this morning. Before we get started, let's take a moment for silent prayer, asking the Father to set aside our distractions, to humble us, to protect us. We are on guard this morning against some trouble, so pray for that too. Shall we pray? <coughs> Almighty Father, we do come before you this morning, and uh, <laughs> Father, there's just a lot going on, and uh, including sickness and allergies and fallen bodies in a fallen world um, and uh, and some trouble father we're mindful of it we're aware of it thank you for opening our eyes so uh, uh, father i thank you that we've got brothers and sisters that are positive for the truth and when they hear the lie when they hear a, a snake or a false teacher they know it for what it is and uh, father i uh, thank you that we can expel such a one and and uh, and protect the flock, Father. It's all about protecting the flock. So uh, hedge us about, protect us, glorify your Son, bless our time on this day. Thank you for Fassel and Carrie joining us this morning. It's a delight to, to see our brethren from Pakistan. And Father, to hear his message next hour is, is uh, just looking forward to that as well. In all things done today, Father, might your Son be center stage. Might we fix our eyes firmly upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. I thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All righty. Uh, so uh, in the book of Philippians, we have uh, outlined for you now uh, what we're going to be doing in chapter 2, and we're ready now to move on into the second of the three imper uh, exhortations that start the first half of this chapter. So once again, I'll take you through our outline. Um, we, the first half of chapter 2 is, is uh, centered on three exhortations. Uh, three exhortations plus some travel arrangements that come in the second half of chapter 2. And uh, these exhortations are follow-ups to the closing exhortation from chapter 1. So some uh, commentaries when they outline it will actually kind of 
lump them together as four exhortations that, that span chapter 1 and chapter 2, but be that as it may. Uh, we've already covered the first one, which is have this attitude in uh, verses 1 and 2. Um, is that right? The uh, No, that's not right. How did that get on there? All right. The second one is have this attitude, and the third one is work out your salvation. Yeah, that is bizarre. Has it always? The slide hasn't always been like that. First one was make my joy complete. The first one was make my joy complete uh, from verses 1 and 2. The second one is have this attitude in verses 3 through 11. And the third one is uh, work out your salvation in verses 12 through 18. And uh, that's a vital one as well when we get to that one too because that one gets abused horribly by some uh, false teachers and uh, we're going we're gonna to handle that greatly uh, when we get to that point. All right. Apologize for the slide. Not sure how that happened. Anyway, I uh, have this attitude. And it, it uh, gets fed immediately from what we were dealing with, with make my joy complete. Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. And those, those uh, imperatives we were dealing with uh, last week and uh, dealt with that. And, uh, and really, is that not also a description of Christ in that regard? Uh, ha- and having the thinking that uh, Christ also thunk when it comes down to it. We've got a lot of thinking verbs and a lot of thinking uh, in this book that, uh, that we deal with, uh, with not only phreneo as, as a primary verb, but we've got some other thinking verbs that are used rendered like regard. Uh, that, that's coming up here in verse 3. Regard one another as more important than yourself. And regard, that's another thinking term. And regard is a, is a volitional thinking term that shows you how to think and how to value and how to consider something uh, even if maybe other people don't or even if, um, well, well, we'll illustrate it when we get to there and, and show you what the regard blessings are uh, that allow us to, uh, to exalt one another is more important than ourselves. So that's what we have. And then the... Uh, the second half of the chapter, verses 19 and following, details the travel arrangements centering on Timothy and Epaphroditus. So uh, we'll have some fun with that as well. Great content there also that deals with when do you know a man is ready for ministry? And he's ready for ministry when he has the, the shepherd heart, when he has the, the compassion for the sheep and the interest of, of their interest at heart, not their own personal interests. And so uh, there are disqualifiers for ministry that, uh, you know, big red flags that you say, oh no, that man is, uh, he, he needs more training. That's not somebody you want to uh, send out to, to blow a flock up with. All right. So have this attitude. Now, I know we've been eager to get to verse five, uh, but we have to get to verse five a little bit backwards. We have to get to verse five a little bit with some reverse engineering because that's the way Paul is is writing this. This is the way he's expressing it, and so he uh, he eases into it with some participles, and he eases into it with almost a, a roundabout way of getting there. And that that's a style. That's a, a style. I don't know that he's fond of it. I was going to search to see how common this was for Paul. Um, and I'm still going to do that search, but um, I don't think this is his normal practice because I, I, I'm not. It's not striking my my mind anyway that I've seen a lot of this in in Paul's writings. Paul is usually more blunt. 
Paul is normally just kind of hits his point and then repeats it nine times and then, you know, leaves it with folks to apply. This, though, is almost like he's, he's delaying and he's delaying and he's delaying. He's teasing it, he's teasing it, he's teasing it, and then he throws it out there. Think this way. Think the way Christ thought in, uh, in that. And so you'll see what we have here is a string of participles that lead up to it. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. Really, it should be doing nothing or thinking nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regarding one another. And we're going to put a lot of ings on these verbs because these verbs are participles and they're, they're describing activity that coincides with the main verb. Maintaining the same, um, I'm sorry, uh, doing nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but doing everything with humility of mind, regarding one another as more important than yourselves, not merely looking out for your own interests, but looking out for the interests of others. All of that's a, a preparatory introduction. All of that's just these extra phrases that are added to the to the imperative, think this way. Think the thinking in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. So um, all of that, I'm just trying to summarize in our main point one. Have this attitude. Have this attitude from verse five is the climax imperative following two present participles. There's a present participle of regarding and a present participle of looking for, or looking out for. So it might even be helpful if you just jot it down on your paper and write it down backwards. Start with verse 5. And, uh, and you've got, have this attitude. That's the imperative. And then back up and see these other participles that precede that. The regarding participle and the looking out for. And then those also are going to have some things that lead up to them. All right? And um, we can do the same thing in English, and, and I don't know that we often do, but let's say um, retiring from 30 years at this career, um, selling all my household goods, um, unloading, even selling my house, purchasing a recreational vehicle. My wife and I are now setting out across the country, you know, on a dream trip to wherever, okay? And so I finally got to describe the main verb, but I had three or four other things that, that led to that, right? That gave either background or contemporary or things necessary to, to make it happen. And, and does that make sense? And so that's grammatically, that's what we have here. Yes, we're going to get to the to the, the, the phreneo imperative of think this way. But before we get to that phreneo imperative, there are these participles and conditions and other clauses that, uh, that lead to that. And so that's what we have here. So if, if you're doing this on your paper and you're writing that out, then the, the have this attitude is the climax imperative. And then these two present participles of regarding and looking out for. And those, by the way, they're present participles. I'm going to stress that. That means that they don't precede the activity of the main verb. They coincide with the activity of the main verb. So if you ever stop doing those things, 
You can't obey the main imperative. Okay? So if you stop regarding one another as more important than yourself, then you are not capable of obeying the imperative to have this thinking in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus. Likewise, if you stop the activity of looking out for the interests of others, you will never be able to obey the imperative to have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. See how that works? All right. So that's, uh, that's the order of it there. Now, um, even backing up a step, even backing up a step, say, okay, well then, I guess I got to pay attention to the regard one another, right? Regard one another. But wait a minute. The regard one another has two stipulations. <laughs> it's not only is a, a present participle that, that coincides with the main verb, it also has some ancillary um, uh, pro, uh, processes. Regarding one another, this is point two in the outline, regarding one another now is, a, is the climax participle following two negative thought processes. Two negative thought processes. And that's what we've got to break down here. Um, doing nothing from selfishness and doing nothing from empty conceit. Do, and, and really, we're going to, the doing should be thinking. Thinking nothing from selfishness. Thinking nothing from empty conceit. Thinking nothing from selfishness, thinking nothing from empty conceit. And this too uh, is clear in the grammar. It's, it's a fun sentence to diagram. Did you ever, were you forced to do sentence diagrams when you were in school? Okay. The younger generations don't have to do that anymore. And, and I think my age bracket, I was like right on the cusp when they started to phase that stuff out. And, and uh, anyway... Um, be thankful if you can still do it. Um, this is, uh, it's useful. All right. It, it does say do, and I th- it's because they had to find a verb to put in there. Uh, they had to find a, a helping idea. And it's, it's, there's nothing wrong with do as a helping, um, but, but literally it's just nothing from selfishness, nothing from empty conceit. And, and adverbs have to modify a verb of some kind. So, just throw a do in there and you got a verb. <laughs> but I think there's a better verb to throw in there because of the verb that was doubled up in, in the previous verse, right? We have the thinking verb that we had seen twice with uh, thinking the same thing and thinking one, one purpose, right? It was the same thinking verb that was used both times in verse two. And so why just invent a, a you know, throw a little helping do verb in there uh, when... Um, Thinking is, is in the same context. It's in the immediate context, before and after verse 3. It's used twice in verse 2, and it's the main imperative of verse 5. So I prefer thinking nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. Now, related to this, a um, couple of things. Uh, selfishness doesn't take a whole lot of instruction. Uh, selfishness, we're all... Uh, we were born sinners, and uh, we all have experiential background with selfishness. <laughs> okay, uh, every uh, every child understands selfishness, and every parent understands selfishness and uh, the need to uh, to discipline that out of a child. 
and then the way that, of course, salvation and the Word of God then transforms it out of the new child in Christ. But it's kind of curious. I don't know that we've ever done an Erethea, uh, Erethea word study before. There's only seven New Testament uses. And other, by the way, you can express selfish, maybe not the, the word, but the concept can be expressed with a variety of vocabulary, uh, terms, and, and, and phrases. But uh, anyway, the one that we have here is Erethea, E-R-I-T-H-E-I-A, and uh, number 2052 in the Strong's Concordance. Um, only used seven times, and uh, right, we've already had one of them in Philippians 1. And um, we just zipped right on through it and didn't really stop and do a big word study on it or pay a lot of attention to it. But do you remember those two crowds in, in Ephesus that were preaching the gospel? And, uh, and uh, one of them was preaching for right reasons, and one of them was preaching for the wrong reasons. And Paul said, well, you know, at the end of the day, at least the gospel's getting preached, so we can be thankful for that. Well, the, the wrong crowd, um, it says in, in Philippians 1.17, they, the former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, out of selfish ambition. And that was the, the adjective that was used there related to the ambition. Okay, so we've had some concepts on this already. If, if selfishness is a, is a motivation, if selfishness is is driving you to do something, um, rethink that. All right, I can't find a, a, a place in the scripture where selfishness is described as a as a positive, as a as a grace thing. You know, um, the idea of uh, we should be selfless, we should be serving others. It's um, to be clear, I think it's the, I think it's the, it's the, uh, it's the imitation of Satan. I think selfishness is the, is the chip off the old block that's worshiping the, the father of lies, that's worshiping the, the, uh, the, the evil one that uttered his five I wills. All the five I wills are all about selfishness. It's all about what he wanted to do for his own uh, self-aggrandizement. All right. And so Philippians 1.17 and, and uh, Philippians 2.3 are the, are the uses there. Notice these are, a lot of these are Pauline until you get to James 3. Um, Romans 2.8. What do you think of when you think Romans 2? Well, I'll say what I think when I get to Romans 2. I think in Romans 1, we've got a long list of real bad sins, right? Real bad Gentile kind of sins, immoral depravity kind of sins. And you know what? When we get to chapter 2, we got some more bad sins. But these are the moral depravity sins. These are the religious depravity sins. These are the, the, uh, the moral uh, people that think they're better than those Romans 1 people. All right? And they're not. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And moral depravity is no better than immoral depravity. Uh, so don't... Uh, don't uh, think it's not. And so, um, anyway, so Paul uh, starts to rebuke and um, start right. I mean, right from the get go, right from verse one, you have no excuse, every one of you who passes judgment, for in that which you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things, and that's that's fighting words right there. And and you can imagine these goody-tushoe, self-righteous Pharisee types, they, they would dispute that, say, oh, no, no, we would never do that. He said, yeah, you do. Because when you break one part of the law, you've broken the whole law, and you're just guilty and, and that. And uh, you're not going to pass judgment. Uh, you're not going to escape judgment. 
You're practicing the same things. And so, um, anyway, verse 5, because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. And uh, there you go. Anyway, um, verse 6, who will render to each person according to his deeds, to those who by perseverance in doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. Now there's a description of the redeemed life. That's the regenerate life. That's you and me walking as believers saved by the grace of God. But then there's the crowd that's not saved by the grace of God. Those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness. Well, here's their death style. See, we've got a lifestyle, they've got a death style. And for the unbeliever, it's wrath and indignation. And so there in Romans 2.8, the idea of selfish ambi- uh, selfishly ambitious, that's, uh, that's a description of a life without Christ. That's, that's, uh, that's what we were before we got saved. Why do I want to be a selfish believer? You know, that, that's, I mean, it's kind of oxymoronic. It's, it's really self contrary It's like a married bachelor. It's just, it, you can't have that. Because, you know, I mean, <laughs> so selfishly born again? Wait a minute. I was bought with a price. I don't be- even own myself anymore. I belong to Christ. I want to serve Him. And that's... Uh, that's the application there. The Corinthians, of course, had a problem with selfishness. And um, Paul addresses this in 2 Corinthians 12. <clears throat> uh, verse 19, all this time you have been thinking that we are defending ourselves to you. And uh, again, so many different thinking verbs. Um, you can just consider, think, ponder. Just You get an idea and you just assume that it's so. <laughs> you know, All this time you've been assuming or thinking that we're defending ourselves to you. Paul says, is that what I'm doing? Actually, it's in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ. And all for your upbuilding, beloved. Speaking the truth in love. And, and you can assign wrong motives to it all you want. Um, God knows the, the truth. And, uh, you know, at this point, who cares what you think anymore? Uh, just go away. <laughs> all right? And uh, verse 20, For I am afraid that perhaps when I come, I may find you to be not what I wish, but I may be found by you to be not what you wish. That perhaps there will be strife, jealousy, angry tempers, disputes, slanders, gossip, arrogance, disturbances. And the, uh, the word strife that's in there is our, is our selfish application. It will be selfishness, jealousy, angry tempers, disputes, slanders, gossip, arrogance, disturbances. And I'm afraid when I come again, my God may humiliate me before you. And I may mourn over many of those who have sinned in the past and not repented of the impurity, immorality, sensuality which they have practiced. So that's the uh, use there. So it's translated selfish ambition. Sometimes it's translated disputes because ultimately speaking, if you put two selfish people together in a room, what happens? How long does it take before that mutually exclusive competitive 
adversarial selfishness begins to dispute, begins to rub against each other, and the friction then results. Okay? To me, isn't that powerful? Here's, here's the body of Christ whereby we get a room full of sinners, but by the grace of God, we're saved, we're transformed, we're, we're growing, we have a new nature now, we can put off that old nature and think about it. And then there's a, a unity of spirit and the bond of peace. That's, that's, yeah, the gates of hell can't prevail against that. Are you kidding me? It's amazing. And so here we have it. How about Galatians 5.20? Remember that? The deeds of the flesh are evident. This, of course, is in the, we taught this at some length, but uh, when you're walking by the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. It's just that's the, how it works. God has given us the, the, uh, equipment, the equipment and the capacity to not sin ever again. <laughs> if when we do, it's because we stopped making use of His provision. It means we stopped walking by the Spirit. And, uh, and then there you go. So the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, and that's, uh, that's our selfishness, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions. Now I'm starting to wonder, maybe it's disputes. One of those words there is our Eretheia terminology. Envying, drunkenness, carousing, things like these. All right? Not an exhaustive list. Things like these. Okay? It's pretty clear. It's evident. It's obvious. The deeds of the flesh. And it's obvious to anyone that's spirit-filled, spirit-led, and looks at that and says, no, that's not where I'm going. The spirit doesn't lead me there. All right. And then James. And interesting, here's Paul who uses all these different... Uh, you know, five different uses. And then James gives two more that I think really address the, uh, the, 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 the core issue as, as to uh, this whole process because it's, a, it's not just a, it's an attitude, it's a mindset, but it's a systemic thing that he has shaped this world to, to foster. It is, it, is, uh, it is a feature of this fallen world and Satan has been nurturing that absolutely nurturing that right it's like if you're a a gardener or you've got um you've got crops you're a farmer okay which i'm neither but i've I've read books um i understand that if there is a kind of a a fruit or vegetable or crop or something and and you want to foster that then there are particular uh, things that you would then do uh in in preparing the soil and preparing the field and preparing the the, uh, and some you just can't because of climate. You're not going to go to, go to uh, you know, a certain state and grow a certain tree. They just don't grow there. Uh, but but you know, within the environmental factors and within the climate and within your control of how you can prepare the soil, you can prepare the soil in such a way that you nurture the product you want to nurture, that you get the crop you want to get. And that's what Satan does all the time. He nurtures the soil of this world constantly so that he gets the crop he wants to get. And that's what these philosophies, these systems of thinking, these attitudinal things, cosmos wisdom 
is designed to foster human selfishness. Is designed to feed the, the base impulses of our fallen sin natures. And so that's, that's what this world fosters. And James addresses this in, in James 3. And so uh, in, in this paragraph 13 through 18, uh, who among you is wise and understanding? And it's, it's curious. You know, you ask for a show of hands and, and then you just kind of, you, you kind of wonder at the hands that get raised. Why did you raise your hand? <laughs> and what kind of wisdom do you claim you have? And, uh, you know, in some respects, if you claim to be wise, you need to realize that, that uh, make sure you have the right kind of wisdom. And uh, that's what in Proverbs we're learning in Proverbs, that the true wisdom is the one that seeks wisdom, is the one that knows that he doesn't have it all, that he, he needs more, and, um, and that. So who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, that's our erethea, if you have erethea in your cardia, then you're a liar. You don't have God's wisdom. you're, You're saturated in Satan's wisdom. Do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. Just stop right now with your wisdom claim because it's the wrong wisdom. You need to repent, you need to confess, you need to flush all that thinking and get on board with the Word of God. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above but as earthly, natural, demonic. Are we clear? Satan has a program that is the antithesis of what God's all about. And his, his design is to replace what God's Word's going to do for you. Because Satan's wisdom is just going to poison your mind and leave you a wreck. And look what else it does. <laughs> Where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. You know? So some snake comes in here and he's pushing a philosopher. What do we want to do with that for? You know? And uh, lo and behold, I go to Scrabble last Monday night. My atheist friend is there. Remember the guy I'm praying for? You've been joining me in this prayer? Okay? Praying for this atheist, wanting him to come to faith, praying for him, praying for him. And what does he start talking about? the same moron philosopher that the other guy was talking about. I, I see you're a great big fan. <laughs> All right, I'm not a big fan, but okay. Anyway, the wisdom for where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there is disorder and every evil thing. And uh, we want no part of that. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable. Notice that? (laughs) Okay? And uh, if you're ever criticized for being too logical with the Scriptures, just smile and thank Him for the compliment. Okay? Because our Christian service is reasonable. It is logikos. It is rational. And, And it has to be. Faith is always rational. Full of mercy, good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy, 
And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Those who make peace. And that's what we see there. All right? So that's, uh, that's the first thing. That's the first thing. Remember, we're backing up. We're backing up. We're backing up. So there's two things we've got to do away with uh, in order, you know, so that we can be regarding one another. And then uh, uh, there's two things we've got to do, including regarding one another, before we can get to the have this attitude, which is also in Christ Jesus. And at any one of these steps along the way, we're just off the rails. If, we, if, if we're just playing with this selfishness, we're off the rails. And so uh, I think these things become important. All right. So then the other part, thinking nothing from selfishness, thinking nothing from empty conceit, thinking nothing from empty conceit. Um, there is uh, another facet of carnality that um, doesn't express itself necessarily through selfishness, but expresses itself through this uh, egotistical, arrogant, boastful uh, um, asceticism of, uh, of things. And so they would, they would swear in a stack of Bibles, they're not selfish. And in a twisted kind of warped way, they almost sort of are in an in a antithetical kind of way. Anyway, that's where the ketodoxia comes in. The empty conceit. The empty conceit. And uh, this also is a negative thought process that we have to uh, remove. And this is an even shorter word study than uh, Erethea, because Erethea at least had seven. This only has one, um, but there's, a, there's an adjective form uh, nearby. There's an adjective form in uh, Galatians 5.26 where it's boastful. We, we saw that in the deeds of the flesh. But empty deceit. Kenos. Kenos is empty. Kenos, if you think... Uh, uh, all your studies in, in uh, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. When you think about just something that's empty, something that has no substance, uh, that's kenos. And then doxa, uh, doxia for glory, right? So think about empty glory. Think about something, you know, and maybe, maybe you have a great boast in it, and by the standard of the Word of God, there's just nothing there. What are you boasting about? What is that? It's an empty, it's a kenodoxia is what it is, or kenodoxos. So kenodoxia is a noun. Um, the old King James Elizabethan English used vainglory or vainglorious, and that's uh, kind of fun. I don't know that I ever read that before, but uh, I like it. It's, uh, it's the idea of vanity, vain, all is vanity, combined with glory, vainglory, vainglorious. Anyway, it's an empty conceit. And our verse this morning is the only verse that has it. Um, there are some secular uses, though. We're not really puzzled over what it means. Uh, Galatians 5.26, where it's boastful, is, uh, is the use there. Right? Didn't we just read that? I must have. Or maybe I didn't get that far. No, I didn't get that far. Um, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful challenging one another, envying one another. So we don't want to become kenodoxos, challenging one another, envying one another. Because it's, it's not a competition one against another. Okay, The Christian way of life, we are not a Scrabble tournament. All right? <laughs> uh, in other words, for me to win doesn't mean you guys all have to lose. Okay, 
<laughs> so the, uh, the, the benefit is, actually, guess what? If I make you do better, I do better. When I edify you guys, when you edify me, when we serve one another, then it's a win-win. So when, when you're looking out for the interest of others, and I, I'm going to take the word merely. Do you have word merely in that verse? Kind of in italics. Do not merely look out for your own interests, but also for the interest of others. That word merely is a little helping word that the, uh, the, the Lockman Foundation uh, wanted, and others uh, wanted to put in their modern English text. You probably have it in a new, uh, New King James probably has it too, has a, a merely put in there. Uh, whatever the case may be, it's not in the Greek. All right? It's just not your own interest, the interest of others. Don't look out for your own interests. And I think just the modern mind looks at that and is like, uh, uh, that's crazy. Who, do, who never looks out for their own interests? Well, if you're walking by faith and God's taking care of you, not your department. <laughs> you're looking out for the interest of others and your body of believers in Christ, they're looking out for you. You don't have to look out for yourself. You've got a whole flock looking out for you. All right. We'll get to that. We'll talk about that. Because that's uh, another one of Paul's trademarks when he says, don't do this, but do this. And, and he tends to do extremes. He tends to say, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, make your request known. And so it's not shocking to me at all that he says, continuously looking out for the interest of others, and he would equate that with never looking out for your own interests. Okay? That's, uh, that's the language here for thinking the thinking that Christ had in him. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Empty, empty conceit, empty boasting, and uh, the, uh, the emptiness of that. There were some church fathers also that used kenodoxos and um, kenodoxia, and those were uh, kind of interesting. If I think about it, I'll, I'll prep those and show those to you Wednesday night. Um, sometimes it's edifying, sometimes it's not. There's not a lot of other uses to look at in uh, I mean, these are the only two we have in the New Testament that you could go to Septuagint, you can go to um, Josephus, sometimes get some interesting things. But, um, and that's just comparative vocabulary study. That's not Bible when we're, when we're looking there. But the church fathers are interesting because they're usually preaching to churches. They're usually impacted by the New Testament. And, and it's, it's curious to me to see how some of these expressions went beyond the first century and, and had the, the impact they had uh, in the church fathers. So um, if I forget, remind me on Wednesday and we'll see if we can pull some of those up and take a look at them. All right, so back to Philippians chapter 2. We're continuing in our backwards um, order here. You doing okay with this? Does it bother you? <laughs> Actually, there's a whole lot more of this than often we even talk about because Greek is not a word order language. In tons of places, there is uh, the, 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 the verse, the word order in the verse is totally at odds with the, the word order in the, in the English Bible, but Anyway, um, so again, verse 5, have this attitude, thinking this in yourselves, 
You have to back up to see the two things now that, that uh, precede that. And then, which includes regarding, regarding and looking out for. So we got the regarding uh, participle in verse 3 and the looking out for participle in verse 4. Those two things have to happen or I'm not thinking this, this, uh, this way. And then now we're backing up again to consider this regarding. Regarding. How do I regard? I want to be regarding one another as more important than myself. I want to be regarding everybody as awesome and me as nothing. Okay? I want to be, I want to be, you know, remember when John the Baptist said uh, he must increase and I must decrease? Okay? That's what I want to do. But that's what I want to do with everybody, with the whole body of Christ, with my entire church flock, regarding them as important and me not. So uh, that regarding now, that regarding can't happen with selfish thinking or empty conceit thinking. All right, so we've covered that. Empty th- uh, selfish, uh, selfishness thinking, empty conceit thinking, flush all that, now I can start regarding With humility of mind. With humility of mind. Now notice even with this uh, regarding, there's still another detail with humility of mind. Tapinu frosune. Tapinas, lowliness. Tapinas, something that's low. And uh, if, you, if, you're, if you're too puffed up, if you're thinking uh, too highly of yourself, that you don't have the tapina frosune, the Humility, my the lowliness of mind. Tapenos is, is an adjective for humble. Uh, Tapenos for sune is a noun for humility, right? That sune suffix at the end of like dikaya sune is righteousness, while dikaios is righteous. Same thing here. Tapenos for sune is, is uh, humility, while tapenos is humble, lowly. So think of lowliness if you want to put a ness ending on it. Uh, with with lowliness of mind, with lowliness of mind. Uh, even though the frasune is similar to the frain and the, the freneo. But tapena frasune, humility of mind. Seven uses of, of humility, eight uses of humble. Um, pretty vital since God's opposed to the proud <laughs> and gives grace to the humble. So uh, again, abandon this at your peril. This is one of those steps along the way. With humility of mind, regard one another. If you don't have that kind of humility, this, you can't have this kind of regarding. With humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. All right? Humility. The um, lessons here, and we've had these studies before, right? I, I think we've studied Tapinas and Tapinafrasune. We've studied... Um, when did we study these? Life of Christ, Romans, Romans 12, I know we covered it. When did we study this? 2 Corinthians chapter 7, chapter 10. I know we've done these studies before. Acts 20, 29. And when you, when you uh, grow in the realms of humility, <laughs> when you grow in the realms of humility, it is not arrogant to identify it. 
Moses was the most humble man on the face of the earth. And he wrote that himself in the book of Deuteronomy. All right? Great. I think that's marvelous. Jesus was humble. And that was written about him. Humble brothers and sisters are written about, and that's not a boastful thing to identify the humility. It is a celebration, because let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. If humility, if humility is present in a believer, the world didn't put that there, the flesh didn't put that there, the devil didn't put that there. If there is humility in a brother, humility in a sister, that means God's grace has been working. And that's something to boast in the Lord about. And so um, when we observe a humble believer, uh, that, that should be identified, that should be celebrated, and we, we can encourage that and, and point to that and, and uh, urge other brothers and sisters to go and do likewise, in, uh, as the Scripture says. All right, Acts 20, 19. And uh, this farewell message. Man, I come to this chapter for a lot of things. Um, this is his farewell message. He doesn't think I'll ever see these guys again. Uh, he says in verse 18, You yourselves know from the first day I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility. Is, is Paul arrogant for saying that? <laughs> okay? No. Serving <coughs> the Lord with all humility, with tears and with trials, I'm so sorry. With tears and with trials, which came upon me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was, <laughs> what's it say? Profitable. There we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some people think it says popular, right? Yeah. Some guys are great at preaching what's popular and then they shrink away from other stuff that's going to rock the boat. Well, see, those kind of preachers, they're not humble. Got to be humble before the Lord and teach what's pop, uh, profitable even if the people don't want to hear it. The ear-tickling crowd, they don't want it. And so you're going you're to take heat for it. Profitable. And teaching you publicly and from house to house. And he goes on, solemnly testifying. There's a whole message here that, uh, although it's our tapinafrasune there that's used in, in verse 19. And he's warning them, and he's warning them about these snakes coming in and, and be on guard for them. Start with looking out for yourselves and, uh, and then look out for the flock. For those savage wolves coming in, not sparing the flock. In verse 29, all right? why we do what we do and why we pray hard. Uh, how about Ephesians 4 2? Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. That's not an arrogant walk. That's not worthy. 
with all humility. How much? Some? A lot? All humility. And gentleness. With patience. Showing tolerance for one another in love. Being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That's going to be a great message when we get that far. That's going to be our follow-up to Philippians, follow-up to Colossians. By the time we get that in Ephesians, it's just going to be pure saturation for this flock. And so there we have it. Christ exemplified it, Paul exemplified it, and we're commanded to live it. All humility. All humility. Of course, Philippians 2.3 is our passage this morning. How about Colossians? Like I say, by the time we get through Philippians and Colossians, we're going to be ready for all of this. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize. You know, these... uh, these people. Even uh, you know, our adversary has been disarmed. Let's let's live that way. Let's let's operate in the church age as the the victors we are in Christ. Let's follow the Father's uh, uh, triumph parade and quit listening to these losers. No one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to festival or new moon or Sabbath day. Things are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Don't confuse your shadow doctrine with substance, grace, in the church age. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize. I think believers throw away reward. They throw away reward left and right every time they, they cave in and compromise with legalism. By delighting in self-abasement, Self-embasement. That's, I think that's pseudo-humility. That's actually its own form of arrogance. It's its own form of selfishness. By having this faux humility, you know, this, this show, none of it's real. Self-abasement. And the worship of angels. Taking his stand on visions he has seen. Oh, well, it was revealed to me. The Spirit spoke to me. Yeah, some Spirit spoke to you, all right. It wasn't the Holy Spirit. And uh, inflated without cause by His fleshly mind. And that's it. Okay? Not holding fast to the head from whom the entire body being supplied. See, as soon as you're severed from Christ, you're not holding fast. It's just, it's hideous. Same chapter, down to verse 23. Uh, Notice now, this is all true. If you have died with Christ, first class, second class, third class, what do you think? Well, for us it's true. We've died with Christ. There you go. And not only do we die to sin and all that, we also died to the elementary principles of the cosmos. Remember those? Why? As if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch? Why do you pay attention to that that stuff? You know? It's like when I'm in Ukraine, or if I ever go to Pakistan, or or wherever I go, go to Kenya, or whatever, 
wherever I go, if I'm, if I'm someplace that I'm not a, a, a citizen, I'm not a member, I'm not a, I don't belong there, I'm just visiting, okay? When I go to Ukraine, you want to know something? I don't care when their income taxes are due. Because I'm not filing, I'm not paying, doesn't bother me, I'm not paying attention, I'm not following those, you know, I just, I don't participate. That's not my thing, okay? Now imagine, you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not an anarchist, I'm not telling my Ukrainian friends to ignore it. They, 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 they live there, that's their, <laughs> that's their country, that's their, you know what I'm saying? So I want them to pay their taxes on the, on the whatever due date it is, April 15th. Maybe they got a different, who knows? But um, I don't know. I don't want to know. And so what this is saying here, as if you were living in the world, why, why are you still playing the world's game? You're not in that world anymore. You're, you are as an alien and a stranger, but we were delivered out of that domain of darkness. We were transported in the kingdom of His beloved Son. So since you've died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why? Do you keep submitting yourself to such decrees as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch? Which all refer to things destined to perish with use in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. Now these are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom in, and here's the expression again, uh, you got self-made religion and self abasement. All right? So in both of these cases here, in Colossians 2, our word for humility uh, doesn't go well with the hyphenated self, self-hyphenated humility, self-hyphenated tapping off for sune. It's kind of like self-help. Really? <laughs> what is that? I'm going to save myself? I'm going to help myself? What am I? Self what? No. Jesus saved me by His grace. I'm going to walk with Him. It's, it's what He's doing. It's the Father who's at work in me to willing to do of His good pleasure. The idea that I'm going to do this, and then what? What if, I'm, what if I can self-abase the better than any other self-abaser? <laughs> well, you know, it does become a competition, and it becomes a, it's ferocious. Legalists thrive in outdoing each other in the, in the in the thing. Well, Jesus told the Pharisees, he said, when you go, you, 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 go, you move heaven and earth to make one convert, and then you make them twice as much a son of hell as, as yourself. Because now they've got to, you just set the bar higher, and now that next, that next Pharisee generation is going to outdo. Can you imagine the people that were looking to Saul of Tarsus thinking, I'm going to beat that. I'm going to beat that. All right. Also uh, in Colossians chapter 3.12. Here's the real humility. As those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on, and we, we saw this the other day, a heart of compassion. Remember that? If there's any affection and compassion, make my joy complete. Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, Tapping off for sune, gentleness, and patience. Bearing with one another, forgiving each other. See, this is not human effort. This is not works. 
This is growing in the Word of God, being transformed, letting, you know, wearing this garment that He prepares for you as you are studying, as, as the Word of God shapes your thinking. Wear it as a garment. And then it's, uh, then it's real. And of course, 1, Timothy, uh, 1 Peter 5.5, 5, we have both the adjective and the uh, noun. First Peter five five we have both the adjective and the noun. It's on both lists. <coughs> this is my favorite text when it applies to um, a lot of things: how flocks operate together, how um, overseers are, are uh, responsible before the Lord. Shepherds are commanded to uh, shepherd those that have been allotted to your charge, okay? And uh, being subject to the chief shepherd. So uh, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. That's who the uh, under-shepherd answers to. You younger men, likewise... And that's, that's a powerful likewise because that, that takes what verses 1 through 4 were applying to the shepherds and applies it to the younger men that could be shepherds someday. Be subject to your elders and all of you clothe yourselves with tapinafrasune, humility towards one another. So apply Colossians 3.12. Uh, wear it as a garment. Put on that new garment. For God is opposed to the proud, but He gives grace to the tapinas, to the humble. That's what it's about. And uh, so there we have it. All right, we also have then the adjective, but I don't have time. Eight uses of the adjective, Matthew eleven twenty nine, Luke one fifty two, Romans twelve sixteen. These are some great passages too. Second Corinthians seven six, Second Corinthians ten one. James 1, 9, James 4, 6, 1 Peter 5, 5. Again, that's the repeat from the first list because that verse has both the noun and the adjective. All right. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for hedging us about and protecting us. And Father, uh, be faithful. Be at work. Our prayer, Father, is not for condemnation of such a one, but... Um, pray the man gets saved, that he understands what it is, that he be humble before the Scriptures. I thank you, Father, in Christ's name. Amen.